0: Blob Talk Radio Welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and we're coming to you live after uh, the Mets' fourth win in five games ever since they threatened to break up the club. And uh, I'll be joined tonight by uh, man about town, uh, John Coppinger, also known as Mets uh, John, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, tonight's game. And uh, Stephen Matz had a great game through seven uh, shutout innings. Uh, Curtis Grandison hit another home run. But uh, one thing that kind of jumps out at me was that Jose Reyes had three hits to get off the interstate tonight. And I want to know from you, what do you, what do you think about Reyes? Do you think he's done? Is this a dead, dead, a dead cat bounce? Uh, what do you see for him in this future with the Mets?
1: You know, I haven't been high on Reyes this year, especially since he had that one stretch last year after he got back from injury. And you always wonder, you know, what's the uh, what's the real who is the real Reyes? And I I think that this season is a large enough sample size to say that he's really having trouble. And and with Ahmed Rosario breathing down his neck, you know, you wonder what his place on this team is going to be the rest of the year if it was me, honestly, I would have cut him a month ago because he, he just can't seem to get on that hot streak to really help the team. And he's not excelling in any aspect of the game. So, but I think he's one of those guys that just gets a lot of leeway from the manager. You know, Terry Collins does seem to have his favorites and Reyes seems to be one of those favorites. So you have a game like this, I think this is going to buy him another month or so. So, uh, like I said, I, I feel very differently about Reyes than Terry Collins does.
0: You know, we all think of Reyes as the, the guy he was when he first came up, a guy who can impact the game with his legs. But at this point in his career, he's almost more of a of a guy who whose value comes in his ability to drive the ball and deliver an extra base hit, which is something that he really hasn't done here lately at all. But you said something that, that I thought was really interesting. You, you said you thought that uh, Terry Collins valued Reyes. And I don't have a real good feel for that. But one thing that I, that I do kind of have a feel for, it seems like Reyes and Dribble Cabrera are buddies with Ioannis Cespedes. And uh, do you have any worry about how Cespedes will react, you know, if and when Cabrera and Reyes are no longer on the team?
1: I think a, a little bit, but not that much. I and mean, you know, we, they talk a lot about in terms of the Mets, in terms of keeping guys around because they're friendly with other guys, and you want to keep those other guys happy. I don't um, really put a lot of stock in taking up roster spots for like for buddies to keep to keep another guy happy, like a like a two for one almost. I, I think these guys are grown men, and and if they can't handle uh, losing their friends, then you know, how, then how uh, how emotionally fragile do you, do we think that 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 say Yoenis Cespedes is going to be going forward? So I don't really worry about that. I think these guys know that uh, that players come and go; it's part of the business. And I'm sure a guy like Cespedes sees the writing on the wall with both Reyes and Cabrera, especially since. Uh, since Cabrera's trade request. So I don't worry about it all that much, and I don't think I don't think most fans should worry about that e- either.
0: You know, it was one thing when we signed Tom Glavin, we immediately turned around and signed his brother, Mike, and, and got him on the minor league roster. And I, I don't even yeah. remember, really, he might have gotten into a couple of games with the Mets. But it seems a little bit different about uh, signing your, your brother to a minor league uh, deal compared to – having two of your buddies in the in the starting lineup when they may or may not even belong on the roster whatsoever. And earlier tonight you mentioned uh, Ahmed Rosario and I think we're we're both ready for the Rosario regime to start for the Mets.
1: Definitely. Cause even if uh, and I know Sandy says well, if Rosario comes up, he's got to stay up. And and I understand that. And even if he's not ready with the bat, you and I both know he's ready with the glove. And I think even if he doesn't really impress with the bat right off the hop, then, uh, then his, deep, but his, his defense is going to be a big help and a big upgrade over Reyes, the lack of range that Reyes has now and certainly the lack of range that Cabrera has had this year. So I don't see what the point is in keeping him down. I mean, that the whole point is to improve the major league club and Rosario will definitely improve the Major League club defensively once he finally comes up.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier the uh, Drew Cabrera affair, and you know we we pretty much have to talk about that. He got some news sure. really late. You know the the Mets didn't handle it very well. They should have told him before they did. But then Cabrera compounded it by talking to the press and and making his uh, making his unhappiness public. Uh, How shocked were you about how everything played out, and do you think that uh, either party is to blame here?
1: I think there's definitely shared blame. I mean, first, to answer your uh, first question, it's shocking because it doesn't usually happen in baseball, but it's not shocking because it's the Mets, and they'll (laughs) provide you off off the field. This franchise will provide you with a lot of things, a lot of first-time things, things you've never seen before. So that didn't really shock me. I think Cabrera's mistake was making it public because you're never going to win the court of public opinion making a trade request because of a position change like that, especially with the things that have come out that he tried to exchange, leverage a position change into picking up his option year. But uh, I do when he said that the Mets didn't communicate with him very well, that kind of got, got me raging a little bit. Because that's something that's constant. You know, Cabrera being a malcontent is not constant. In fact, he's been known up until this point to be a clubhouse leader. You don't go from a clubhouse leader to a malcontent overnight. So That's why I'm thinking, well, what's the common thread in a lot of the Mets' problems? And it's the way they communicate. It's the way they communicate injuries. It's the way they communicate with each other in certain cases. And in this case, it's the way you, you uh, communicate with your players. They certainly had plenty of time to let Cabrera know, hey, we're going to move you to second base. He had a 10-day stint in the minor leagues and a re- on the DL and a rehab assignment where he could have prepared for this. But they kind of sprung in on him. And after everything, and given the Mets history with a lack of communication, I, don't, I really don't blame Cabrera for being mad. Maybe he could have handled it in a different way. But in terms of blaming him for being mad, I can't do that
0: you know the hashtag lol mets didn't come out of thin air and and like you mentioned uh, this is part of a continuing process of maybe them dropping the ball in communications but you also mentioned something that i the, that i want to talk about and that's uh, cabrera as the team first top step guy and i want to know how how fans can balance the fact of cabrera as this team first guy versus this guy who turns around and I mean it it's almost Machiavellian, you know, his his plotting and planning. Well, this, the second that the team asked him to do something, by God, he was going to try to make eight and a half million dollars out of it. And uh I don't know, that that uh I, I don't blame him for doing that, but I can't turn around and say, well yeah, he's a team first guy when he's thinking about next year and eight and a half million dollars rather than what's good for the team right right the second.
1: Oh sure, ab- absolutely, and uh, you know, it's just like I said before, you don't go from being a team first guy to a me first guy overnight, and and it goes along to the fact that we don't really know what goes on in the locker room all these all these years. You know, we only know what gets reported and what gets told. Doesn't mean that's the absolute truth. You know, maybe maybe things are just hidden. Well, but uh, you know, my question was, how often does this happen in a major league clubhouse that we don't see? Do guys? try to get their option years picked up because the position changes on a regular basis it doesn't seem to although Brandon Phillips tried to get an option picked up when uh he was faced with a trade to the Nationals and that and them not picking up the option actually caused that trade to go down and in turn caused the Nationals to go out and get Daniel Murphy so we see how that worked out but uh know, it's listen it's just there are always shades of gray in all of these arguments it's tough to to label Cabrera as one or the other. I mean, yeah, he's a team-first, top-step guy who's also worried about himself and his family's welfare. And I don't think, as long as you're not a complete malcontent that throws your teammates under the bus, like, say, a Miguel, a Miguel Montero or the Cubs, then I, think that, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, having shades of gray in your personality.
0: And we should point out that uh, Cabrera has both hit and fielded very well since being activated from the DL. So even if he is upset, he's not taking it on the field, which at the end of the day is the only thing that matters. But I want to shift gears here. It's almost like a weight was, uh,
1: lifted off of his shoulders. You know, it's almost <laughs> like when he made the yeah. uh, complaint, a weight was lifted off his shoulders.
0: Well, he was he was due to hit. He he hadn't been hitting this year, so uh the uh, timing perhaps or uh weight off of his shoulders, whatever it is, as Mets fans will take it. But I w- I want to ask Absolutely. you about something that happened in 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 last night's game. And then uh we saw Gasolman get uh injured on uh, running out the grounder to first base and then while he was uh, being attended to, uh, Mets announcer Ron Darling made this impassioned speech about uh, the need for baseball-specific trainers, and, you know, it was, it was shocking to, to hear, and uh, the way that I interpreted it, and I want to know if there's any other way to interpret it than what I heard. I mean, that was a direct slap in the face to Mike Barwis, wasn't it?
1: I think you could definitely interpret it that way. You could also interpret it as more of a general statement of the state of training all around baseball, because that seems to be what's going on in baseball. People are training differently, they're training harder for shorter periods of time, and they're training. There's definitely more weight training and less general stretching and whatnot. But I think you can interpret it in both ways. I think it would be fair. I think when you look at Boris's track record, with this team and the amount of injuries and muscle tears that have happened since he's taken over, I think you definitely have to look at that. And that's all I would really ask of the Mets hierarchy is to just just look at what's going on. You know, they they, they hired this guy Barwis because he went to Michigan and he was a friend of Jeff Wilpon's. So that, and that makes what's going on now seem a thousand times worse, that, you know, you hire a friend – and then the Mets have all these injuries. You know, can we look at a common thread that's going on? I love Terry Collins trying to backpedal and say, oh, well, they're all different injuries. But a lot of them are muscle tears. You know, lat chairs, ligament tears, hamstring tears, they're all tears of the muscle. So there, there is a little bit of a pattern whether Collins wants to acknowledge it or not. So all I've been saying for the past few years, all I've been thinking is, let's just look at how things are done. Maybe there's something different that can be done. Let's drop the arrogance of we know better than anybody and try to improve. Try to make tweaks to what you do. And I think what Ron said was very true and very enlightening. And when somebody like Ron speaks, I mean, I always think of Keith Hernandez as the get off my lawn guy. So when Ronnie goes into that mode, then I think it's something that really should have some resonance within the
0: organization. You know, I'd I'd like to take your thought about uh, not being so arrogant, and I'd like to take that even one step further. I mean, we've seen year after year after year the Mets coming down with greater than average number of injuries, and I think there are teams out there. Uh, I haven't seen a report this year, but I know last year when I looked into it, that the teams in the AL cent the AL Central. I'm thinking specifically of the White Sox and the Indians. As the Mets have year after year more injuries than normal, those two teams have fewer injuries than normal. And we ought to be reaching out to those teams and seeing what they're doing and what can be incorporated. You know, we got some good news that uh, there was going to be a little bit different uh, communication structure on a daily uh, basis with Alderson and, and all of the uh, trainers and strength and conditioning guys. And I think they need to make it one step further and go outside the organization to see what the successful teams in this realm are doing and seeing what they can adapt to it.
1: It's funny you said uh, the White Sox and the Indians, because I don't know if you saw um, on MLB uh, Network this morning, uh, Jim Tome was a guest and uh, they asked him about the different style of training and what's going on in the two teams that he specifically brought up about how, uh, how they do things well are the White Sox and the Indians. And now, disclaimer, he worked for the White Sox, so he saw what they did a little closer, but that the White Sox did a lot of things well and what the Indians did well was, uh, was more preventative. Getting, guys, getting young guys in the training room, reducing the stigma of having young guys in the training room, whereas in the past older guys would say, You're 23. What are you doing in the training room? But when the the Indians are sending guys in the training room, it's preventative. It's to keep guys healthy and keep guys on the field and not wait until they're on the DL to have them go in the hot tub or the cold tub or whatever they – wherever they put those – wherever they put the players in. So it's funny you mentioned those two teams specifically.
0: He's John, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about – the Mets and some of their strengths and weaknesses and it's kind of hard to hear those two words together and not think about manager Terry Collins. We've seen him for 6 plus years now and I think it's pretty obvious what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I want to know how on earth does he not have a bench coach to make up for some of his in-game weaknesses specifically like last night putting Neil Ramirez into a tie game in the 7th inning. How how does that happen? <laughs>
1: I have no idea how that happens. And, again, it goes back to Terry having favorites. He's always had guys that he's used entirely too much out of that bullpen. I I keep thinking of, uh, and this might be going uh, before Terry Collins, but Manny Acosta. Manny Acosta was that guy where we used to be that guy where we always say, what is he doing in this situation? But not even Acosta has been in as many close games per capita as Neil Ramirez. And Neil Ramirez was brought in as a guy, as a desperation, as a deep filler. Basically a guy who, who's going to come in and eat up innings just so that the rest of the bullpen doesn't get tired. And instead, he's going into tie games in the seventh inning and, and multiple, multiple times. It goes along, it's that joke, the definition of insanity, doing things over and over again and expecting a different result. He's brought in Ramirez in tie games, tie close games, in the 7th inning over and over again and it never works out. I don't know what Terry's thinking on that. It just it drives me cuckoo bonkers.
0: It would have made sense to bring Ramirez in the game when Gazelman got hurt because they were losing 3-nothing at the time and it was going into the 4th inning. But uh, your leverage situations were so much different at that time and they had warmed up uh, Edgen in the previous inning, and with all the lefties coming up, it certainly, especially with TC's preference for playing matchups, it would have made more sense to have a lefty on the mound in that situation. But truthfully, pretty much anyone except for Ramirez would have been preferable. I mean, the guy that just called up Bradford, I would have rather have seen him in there than, than Ramirez, and it, it makes you wonder if he's got incriminating photos of, of the manager or somebody else.
1: Somebody does, for sure. How about Eric Goodell? He knows what Eric Goodell could do. Eric Goodell has come in and done a great job for Collins in the past. He struggled lately, but I would trust Eric Goodell
0: more than I would trust Neil Ramirez. I trust you more than I would trust Neil Ramirez. (laughs) Well, if Neil Ramirez doesn't have uh, incriminating photos of somebody, then I think Rafael Montero must, because he's had more last chances than uh, Steve Howe, I think. But his last time out, he had a very nice outing, albeit against one of the worst teams in the league in the Giants. And I want to know, do you have any confidence in him going forward? Not
1: a lot, but the one thing I'll say about Montero is that I wish that he was never used as a reliever. I think that messed him up pretty good this year. I think that Montero, when he starts, you at least know what you're going to get from him. As a reliever, he's just, he's even worse. Like, it's like, it's not, it's not even a comparison, his numbers between relieving and starting. And not that he's been very good as a starter, but at least he knows that gig. He knows that role. And he's adjusted to that okay. I think, Monte- I think that is one of Montero's problems. Or well, I think that's the Mets' mon- problem when it comes to Montero. Montero just needs to not be. Scared of the strike zone. He reminds me a lot of Alain Soler, if you remember him, where he, he came up and he pitched a shutout and everybody was very high on him. He was on the, he was on the team with uh, Orlando Hernandez, loved him, he was a fellow Cuban. But then he proved himself to be a guy that didn't want to come anywhere near the strike zone in a big spot. And he got crushed every time out. I think Montero has a little bit of that in him. So uh, I think that's a problem he needs to get over. But like I said, Montero should not come out of the bullpen. He should be a starter and if he can't make it happen now as a starter, then it's never gonna happen for him.
0: Yeah, I I agree about the the need to have him as a starter and the one thing that that I found encouraging in this game was that he actually pitched inside and he and he showed a, a slider that he hadn't really shown very much of previously. And the the slider that he had thrown previously didn't break a whole lot. And, and not that the one he threw against the Giants was all, all that much better, but just the location of it. And, you know, I think the trap that Montero has fallen into, and I want to discuss later perhaps the reasons for this, is that every pitch he throws is low and away. And, you know, everyone gets frustrated with him because he came to the, to the majors with his reputation as being a strike thrower. But they're asking him to throw it in such a defined portion of the strike zone that it's almost po- impossible to hit it every single time. And, and I think that that's really hurt them. So the, the fact that he was pitching inside more and pitching inside with a different pitch, I think was one of the main things that helped him against the Giants.
1: Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you, what you said before about him not uh, him being more comfortable as a starter. When you're a starter... You have a little more leeway to experiment with pitches and and work on a repertoire and work on your slider more instead of just coming in as a reliever and trying to blow people away. So I I think there's definitely something to that for sure, and there was definitely something to him pitching inside against the Giants. And that's that's the the secret to all these pitchers. doesn't matter what your velocity is. you got to throw inside. Hitters will respect that, and they will be thrown off by that.
0: Well, I want to I talk about this in, in greater detail, not just in, in limit to Montero. But one, one of the things that I've been frustrated uh, with uh, ever since the Alderson-Collins regime came in place is the pitch calling in the game, because I, I think that they depend too much on the outside they don't pitch inside enough, and by God, they're not going to hit a batter unless they <laughs> – I think they get uh, fined a million dollars if they hit a guy. Not, not that I'm in favor yeah. of throwing guys, but I think you have to move their feet. So, anyway, I, I want to ask you, who do you feel is responsible for the pitch calling in the game? And if, and if you think that there are multiple people involved, can you give me a ballpark percentage for each of those? Well,
1: this is that's tough to say only because, you know, the, the – Back in, the, back in the 70s and 80s, catchers would call their own games, and that rarely happens anymore. I do think that the bench coach is calling a lot of that game, probably probably 60 to 70%, but I could see Terry Collins having some input when the game gets tight. Uh, but uh, the one thing that you can say about the pitch selection with certain guys that it hasn't been good, especially the relievers, that's why I think in tight games the, the pitch selection gets worse. And I do think that whoever's responsible in the early inning is not responsible in the late inning. I couldn't tell you who that was, you know, who, who it is specifically. It could be from bench coach to Terry, but I think when it gets late, there are a little too many hands that that, uh, that are still in the pot, as it
0: were, for sure. Now, at, at no point in your answer did you mention the pitcher, and and that's something that, that I pretty much agree with. If I was going to give the, percent, the pitcher a percentage, it would probably be less than five percent. But going back to Montero, in one of his first relief appearances for the Mets, he had a he came on and he threw. I think it was eleven straight pitches that were low and away, and finally uh, he missed the um, left one over the plate and ended up losing the game. But the thing that got me was at the end of the game. Montero was crucified for throwing 11 straight pitches low and away like he was the one who was calling it. And it, it just amazes me that people think that in this day and age that a pitcher, I don't know if Montero was officially a rookie at that point, but if he wasn't a rookie, he was uh, just barely past the minimum qualifications, that he was out there calling the pitches in a tight game. That's just not the way that it works. No,
1: definitely not. And if you remember, there was a point a point, uh, and I, I couldn't Tell you the year, but it was when Tim Burdak was with the team, and it was a very similar thing that happened between Tim Burdak and Dan Worthen, where Tim Burdak didn't want to throw a pitch, but then he was he was forced to throw that pitch. He threw a pitch, and it, it ended up in the bleachers, or it ended up down the line for a double. And I remember Burdak being making his making his thoughts clear on Worthen being the guy that really messed up that whole. Uh, that that whole sequence there and then more than wasn't available for comment so that was always something that <laughs> stuck with me to that so that's why I think that whether it be bench coach or pitching coach I, and I do think more than does have a hand in those decisions too so uh, so yeah that that always, that always incident always stuck with me probably more for the fact that more than didn't talk to the press after that game it's like come on you're part of the story come in, come and And he basically, when he did did talk, I think, in the next few days, he threw Burdak under the bus, and nobody had a problem with that. It boggles my mind.
0: You know, we always talk about uh, Terry Collins uh, being made of Teflon, but I think we can expand that to include Worven as well. All right, well, each week we make a crazy prediction here on the podcast, and I'll give you mine, and I'm going to ask you to comment on how crazy mine is, and then I'm going to ask you to give me a crazy one of yourself. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. All right, so my crazy prediction is that despite all of the talk about uh, selling off veterans, that the Mets are not only going to keep Curtis Grandison, but they're going to re-sign him on a two-year deal. So how crazy is my prediction?
1: I don't think it's the craziest thing I've heard. And I say that for this reason. I think that the Mets value clubhouse influence probably more than they should. A lot more than they should, and I think and you, you can hear it in Terry's voice when Terry talks about Granderson when he talks about benching Granderson he 's almost on the verge of tears, so it would it would make sense that they would bring him back just for his clubhouse influence. Now, if they bring him back, that means that they wouldn't bring a guy back like Jay Bruce, and that kind, and that will lead me to my crazy prediction is that I think if they're going to re-sign somebody, it's going to be Jay Bruce. And I'd say that only because it makes makes sense because I don't think they want to go into 2018 with a ton of turnover. They're already going to to be turned over at first base, shortstop, probably third and second as well. I think they want to go for a little bit of stability. Jay Bruce gives him that stability. He's had a good, a good year, and it seems like a Mets thing to do because it would totally screw up Michael Conforto. <laughs> so now, I, the, I do, I, I do want Conforto to play a corner outfield spot. Signing Bruce would screw that up, which which uh, tells me that that might be a thing the Mets would do.
0: Mm, Lol, Mets. Um, now the one right. thing that, that Bruce has in his favor is his ability to play first base, which we saw earlier this year. And uh, Granderson, despite not having uh, uh, anything more than a noodle arm, he's never been asked to uh, take balls in the infield. And I think that uh, one of the things that I jokingly said in in one of my posts is that they should have had him taking ground balls at third base because he had to have a better arm than Wilmer Flores.
1: Right. Or, Or
0: David Wright, for that matter. At this point in time, for sure. Um, but uh, uh, real quick, uh, just hearing those two names back-to-back, the, the play in yesterday's game where, where Flores w- w- ran away from the ball and went to cover third base, even though no runner was coming to third, do you think David Wright would have gotten that?
1: Um, No, it would have been uh, – well, yeah, he would have gotten it, but he would have thrown it away.
0: <laughs> he would have he signed right, well, on it and skipped it like a pebble across the ocean. Oh, man, that's cold. All right, well, we are just about out of time, but I, I want to talk about uh, one thing that's happened here in Mets land, and, and that's the untimely death of former pitcher Anthony Young. And uh, I just want to give a, a, my brief uh, memory of Young. I was working in minor league baseball back in 1990 when uh, the Mets had this hot shot pitcher for their Double A affiliate in Jackson in the Texas League. And that was Anthony Young, and he won 15 games that year. And, and I was convinced he was going to be the uh, the next great Mets pitcher. And he didn't quite make that, but uh, he came in, and I think he impressed everybody with the the way that he handled himself uh, through tough times. And I, I think that every Mets fan has a, uh, a positive feeling about Anthony Young. Do you have any specific memories of Young?
1: Probably uh, him getting on the Tonight Show during that uh... – during that long losing streak you know it shows uh, there was a meme i saw recently that said hey if you're going to screw something up screw it up so bad that they wonder how you did it and that's what young did i mean not, <laughs> not that it was all his fault but his losing streak was so monumental that jay leno wanted to want wanted to ask him how he did it and he handled himself through that all with, with such grace and you know i know people that that know him that have spent some time with him that say he is he is absolutely, without a doubt, the nicest guy, one of the nicest guys you, you would ever meet in baseball. And I think Anthony Young embodies the spirit of the Met fan. No matter how, how much you get your head beat in, no matter how much you get knocked out of the yard, no matter how much you have to deal with Yankee fans at City Field, you go in there and, and you try it again. And you keep going and you keep plowing and you never give up. And that's what Young did, and I think he embodies our spirit in that way. And it's such a shame to see him go. And uh, I I do hope, as a friend of mine said, I hope that in another life he gets every speck of good luck that uh, that can be afforded to a man because he deserves it.
0: Well said, John. Well, we are out of time. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And uh, please tune in uh, next uh, Wednesday night at uh, 11 o'clock when uh, David Groveman will come by to talk Mets prospects. Everybody have a great evening and let's go Mets. Good night, everyone.